This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. As, you, as many of you know, some people, especially the younger generation, prefer to live in the virtual world than the real one. Our next speaker, Dr. Raj, who is director of our immunology uh, lab, lives in the real world, but he will show you evidence that in terms of the cross-match, virtual may be better. Raj? Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd I like to thank uh, uh, Dr. Vincente uh, for having me here to talk this you know, on this uh, important subject. Uh, so uh, the question is whether the virtual cross-match is better than real. Um, I would say yes. So uh, it's, it's a very easy uh, uh, process. Uh, if you have the antibodies, and the HLA antigens of the donor, anyone can do it. Uh, but um, behind the scene, we do a lot of uh, testing, so particularly the antibodies. Uh, uh, so I'm going to talk about how we do the HLA antibody analysis. It's not just only the cross-match prediction. Uh, it, it is a compatibility assessment. Uh, sometimes we do the transplant with a positive cross-match with a lot of antibodies. But sometimes we, even cross-match can be negative, but there's no antibodies still, we don't do the transplant. So I'm going to talk about how we make that assessment. Uh, so, uh, so I want to say 99% oh, of the kidney transplants occurs in UCSFs or based on the virtual cross-match. Uh, so not many centers does it. That means it's a, it's a big deal because it, the virtual cross-match uh, eliminate um, uh, the kidney being on ice for 10 hours. So the kidney can go from the donor OR to the recipient OR. So the HLA is the, uh, the challenging barrier to transplantation. Uh, if the recipient um, received uh, a kidney from HLA matched individual, the recipient immune system, which comprises the the lymphocytes, the cellular immune system, and the humoral immune system that reject the kidney. So what we do before we do the transplantation, we wipe out the entire uh, cellular immunity. So we have tools to do that. We can remove the T cells or the uh, activated T cells or mature lymphocytes or selective B cells using different monoclonal antibodies. But in UCSF, we don't do this. We select, we, we generally we deplete only these activated T lymphocytes because we need to keep this immune system uh, intact. Otherwise, the patient will get top, um, a lot of infection and, and uh, uh, um, cancer. So you want to eliminate only specific cell type, which is primarily the activated T lymphocytes. Then once you have the kidney in, then uh, uh, the patient has to take the medication every day so the kidney can stay. But the problem is here in the immoral immunity, the antibodies. So those are a big problem, at least for 30% of our uh, uh, kidney weightless patients. So people make HLA antibodies uh, because of prior uh, transplantation, pregnancy, or transfusions. 
So the majority of our functions, the lab functions, works to identify what type of HLA antibodies the patient has it, how much antibodies the patient has it, whether these antibodies are specific to the donors. So that's what uh, we function uh, most of the time. So in the next slide, I'm going to summarize giving you an overview on how these antibodies are produced, uh, how it acts on the target cells or the grafts, and what are the uh, 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 therapy that we have it in place uh, to block these all the HLA antibodies. So the antibodies are produced by the uh, B cells, of uh, the naive B cells sitting in the bone marrow, then that gets into the secondary lymphoid organ where it meets uh, the T lymphocytes and the antigen-presenting cells. Once it recognizes the B cells are activated, then that gets into uh, 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 periphery, uh, that, that becomes a memory uh, B cells. A subset of memory B cells can get into the bone marrow that become uh, plasma cells that produce the antibodies. So the plasma cells can uh, produce antibodies. These antibodies, the HLA antibodies, can act on uh, allograft or the organ transplant uh, and mediate uh, graft rejection uh, by different mechanisms. The primary one is it binds to the HLA proteins and triggers uh, uh, it binds to the complement, it triggers a cascade of complement activations that can damage the allograft. Then the second mechanism is it can, the antibody can um, uh, connect with these uh, uh, natural lytic cells or NK cells. Uh, these cells are very typically very similar to these uh, killer T cells, and this, uh, uh, by connecting uh, NK cells, it can mediate the antigen-dependent uh, cell cytotoxicity. So again, damage the allograft. Then the third uh, mechanism involves, um, again, connecting the antigen-presenting cells using uh, FC receptors that can enhance the antigen presentation and, and, and triggers enhance the adaptive immune response against the allograft. So the antibodies uh, can be uh, uh, removed by this simple plasmaphoresis or uh, can be treated by the IVIGs. The IVIG uh, works like a blocking antibodies. It can block as an anti-idiotypic antibodies. And we have other drugs, uh, the rituximab, that, can, uh, that are specific to CD20 that can selectively deplete B cells or um, the antibodies to the bortezomib. It's not uh, antibodies. The bortezomib is a, a lysosome inhibitor, uh, so that can uh, stop the function of the plasma cells. Or um, uh, uh, the CAMPATH that is against the CD52, uh, so that is uh, expressed on all mature uh, lymphocytes so that using these antibodies or CAMPATH can deplete uh, all the uh, lymphocytes in the circulations. Then also uh, we have uh, C5 inhibitors, a complement inhibitors using that. You can uh, stop the end-stage um, activity of the complement. So all these drugs available in the clinic, um, uh, it, it is not very specific. It's not just depleting the HLA antibodies. It also depletes all other good antibodies uh, directed against in infection. Uh, so also, these anti-treatments are not permanent. So you can, like a plasmophoresis, you do that, you can see the decrease in the antibody in the circulation. Then in three days, it uh, comes up uh, with a much higher concentration. So the best uh, thing uh, is, is avoiding these antibodies uh, by various methods like cross-matchers. So what are the consequences of preformed donor-specific HLA antibodies? It can cause from hyperacute rejection, 
to all the way to the uh, no transplantation. If patients loaded with the tons of antibodies with the different specificities, they may not get even any, any transplantation. So, uh, so I'm going to, so we have a lot of cross matches uh, by name. Uh, each one was developed for us to, to uh, solve some goals. Uh, so um, I'm going to go through in some of the slides in the uh, next four or five slides, uh, the basic cross-match methods. And finally, I'm going to talk uh, more on the virtual cross-match method. So the cross-match is uh, just assessing the complement, uh, uh, assessing the compatibility between the donor and the recipients. So this is a very simple test uh, developed by uh, Paul Terasaki in 1963, uh, the time I born. Uh, so uh, here's the, they, they used uh, very simple methods. Yeah, just a long time back. <laughs> so, uh, so we need, uh, so he took donor cells, um, uh, isolated the lymphocytes, and he mixed with the recipient serum. Um, so if the serum has HLA antibodies, it binds to the donor cells, particularly to HLA molecules. Then he added the complement, so that binds to the antigen-antibody complex, then that lies the cells, then by simply uh, staining uh, the, light, the uh, 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 vital stain, you can distinguish the dead cells, um, um, dead cells and the live cells. So the, if it is dead cells, there's a positive cross-match because you have the antibody and antigen complex. Uh, so if there is a live cells, you don't see that um, antigen-antibody complex. So the positive cross-match means don't transplant, or negative means uh, just go ahead and do the transplant. So using this simple test, uh, he published this paper in 1969, showing the significance of the positive cross-match test in the kidney transplantations. So he looked at 225 cross-match. Uh, those positive cross-match individuals exhibit hyperacute rejection or accelerated, media, accelerated rejection, but those um, showed the negative cross-match, most of them uh, uh, did uh, very well, so they, they had functional graph. But the problem with this test is these two numbers, the specificity and sensitivity. So some of the positive cross-match individuals survive better. I mean, uh, there's no uh, graph rejection, and some of these um, negative cross-match uh, um, uh, show some rejection. So then, uh, since then, uh, people uh, start to develop or uh, refine this cytotoxic cross-match in various methods. So if you look at the cells, it's not only expressing HLA molecules, it also expresses other molecules, uh, say non-HLA molecules or any proteins on the surface. Uh, if you look at the serum, it's not only having HLA antibodies, it has other antibodies, non-HLA antibodies, IgM antibodies. So one can deplete this, some of these antibodies by using uh, like a DTT chemical, you can deplete all the IgM antibodies that can improve the specificity. And uh, one can use the antibodies against these antibodies, um, then that can be enhance uh, the sensitivity of the assays. Or simply extend the incubation of the donor cells and the serum, uh, that can uh, enhance the sen sensitivity of the uh, assays. But still, there, there was a problem so that people start developing the flow cytometry cross-match, which is more sensitive, more sensitive than uh, 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 typical uh, CDC cross-match. So again, uh, the requirement for the cells and the serums are the same. Uh, so we isolate the cells, uh, lymphocytes, so we have T cells and B cells. So using monoclonal antibodies, you can specify uh, these two uh, cell types. 
Uh, then uh, if the patient has antibodies, the serum has antibodies that binds to the cells, then you add the secondary antibodies, which is uh, conjugated with the fluorescein. Then you run it in the uh, flow cytometry methods, uh, so that can measure the amount of fluorochrome um, bound onto the each cell types, the T cells and B cells. Then you compare this, uh, 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 the peak, with the uh, control peak, the negative control serums that has no HLA antibodies. Uh, so that this, this is the baseline uh, fluorescent. So my, by taking these two values, you can see how much the peak in the patient serum moved that indicate uh, the median channel shift or the positive cross-match, how much uh, the cross-match is positive. So we have cutoff values uh, determined so using panel of negative control serum. So the T-cell means of anything more than 50 median channels shift, we call them positive. Then 120 for the B-cells, anything more than that, we call them uh, uh, positive cross-match. So the more median channel shift is a more positive cross-match. So also, uh, if the patient is treated with a rituximab to deplete the B cells, so those antibodies can interfere with the cross-match. So in that case, we use the pronase to remove this, all the CD20 molecule, which is expressed on the uh, B cells, so that you can get a uh, very defined or uh, refined uh, cross-match uh, report. So this is our typical cross-match uh, uh, reports looks like. So this is the CDC cross-match, this is the flow cross-match. We use two serums, independent serums. These are the T cells, B cells, and uh, those untreated or treated with the uh, uh, DTTs that deplete the IgM antibodies. Then the, we, are, we have the results here, whether it's positive or negative. Then the flow cross-match, again, we use T cells, B cells, two different serum, then positive or negative, then this is the median channel shift that indicates a qualitative assessment of the cross-match. Also, we include in the common saying whether the cross-match is positive. If it is positive, what are the donor-specific antibodies and how much donor-specific antibodies the patient has. So all information goes here. In the end, we also uh, make a comment whether it is good to go to transplant or don't transplant. So in this case, transplantation with this donor is not recommended. So, uh, so the uh, flow cross match also it has uh, it has its own issues. It's not very specific. It has a sensitivity problem, uh, uh, specificity problem. So, uh, so the best cross match uh, in in practice, uh, at least in theory, in many for many centers, is the virtual cross match. So, it's, it's a lot of good things in virtual cross match. One thing is you don't need to do any any of these cross matches. Uh, the, the, the physical cross match, it is out. Then we don't need a four uh, 40 ml uh, tubes from the blood. All we need a couple of buckle swaps. All we need to get a little amount of DNA. So the donor can be in New York, just send the buckle swap. So, it's, so we can do that virtual cross match in the lab. All we need to measure what type of HLA antibody the patient has it and what is the donor's HLA typings. So you do that. Um, then, uh, say, for in this example, so the, the patient has antibodies to HLA-A2, so this is the donor typing. So if any antibodies against the donor's type, so that becomes, uh, um, so, so that becomes like a positive virtual cross-match. So you can also predict whether the cross-match, like a CDC cross-match, would be positive or flow cross-match would be positive just based on how much antibodies, how much these A2 antibodies are present in the patient's serum. So uh, you can use this virtual cross-match in the UNOS computer. So if your patient uh, has, for example, A2 antibodies, 
So you go to the patient record in the ENOS computer and tell that uh, the patient has EA2 antibodies. We don't want any donor having HLA-EA2. So that's what we do for every single patient that we manage. So we do, for this case, we block EA2 is not acceptable. So not accept, it's an unacceptable antigen. So then the UNOS computer goes through their programs with like 12,000 donors, previous donors, and calculate and check for what, what is the frequency of HLA-EA2 in the 12,000 uh, donors. So that gives the number that is called calculated pan uh, CPRA. So that means in this case, the 48 persons. That means 48 percent of the donors are not compatible with these patients who makes only one single antibody A2. So I'm going to explain these slides more details. So, so the, the CPR is calculated by over 2,000 UNOS donors, which has been typed previously in the last 10 years. So it's, imagine so all these 12,000 donors are listed here. So donor one typings like this, EA1, 68, and so on, donor two, donor three, and so on. Then if the candidate uh, has A2 antibodies, so any donor having HLA-A2 would be incompatible. So that gives the number CPR, that's the 48%, so that means 48% of the UNOS donor would be incompatible for these patients, making HLA-A2 antibodies. If the candidate make more antibodies, such as DR4, so all the DR4, the additional donors would be avoided. So that's going to be uh, even higher person, 61% of the donor would be in incompatible. So if the patient making more antibodies, so more donors would be incompatible. So in this case, 76%. This is only three antibodies. If the patient has three antibodies like this, you have 76% of the donors would be incompatible. But a lot of patients having tons of antibodies, it can be like 100 or 150 HLA antibodies. Those patients, very hard to find uh, uh, a transplant. So we'll talk about it in some case later. So uh, what I'm showing here is the uh, comparison of different cross-match methods, CDC, flow, pronase, virtual, in terms of sensitivity, uh, specificity, and cost, and turnaround time. You can see the virtual cross-match is, is, is the highest sensitivity, specificities. Uh, it costs nothing, uh, but you spend a lot of money on other cross-matches. But you, you spend a lot of money for, the, for, the, for, for um, uh, characterizing HLA antibodies, but it takes only 10 minutes to do the cross-match. So it has, a, it has a lot of advantages. So what I'm listing here is the advantages. It eliminates the physical cross-match. <clears throat> it saves uh, four to uh, six hours, so it cuts down the uh, cold ischemic time. Um, so there's no samples required. That means it reduces the laboratory and uh, OPO workload, reduces the laboratory cost, OPO cost, and transplant program cost, and it adds the precision to the actual cross-match. You can predict whether it is CDC or flow cross-match can be uh, positive or negative. Whether uh, It can predict whether what type of donor-specific uh, the patient has it. And it improves the allocation, patient, uh, allocation efficiency. If my patient has so many antibodies, I can tell those are their donors with the particular HLA type. We don't need it because it's not compatible. So the kidney cam can uh, uh, come from a uh, different part of the country. So uh, there also it increased the rate of transplantation for sensitized patients, and you can account many factors, not just only antibodies. So if, you, if you want to uh, uh, avoid any antigen uh, that was the previous mismatch, you can do that. So you can play with a uh, uh, lot of things. 
So uh, as I mentioned, the, the just doing virtual cross match is not the big deal. It's very easy. It takes 10 minutes, a little experience. But uh, if I teach you in one hour, you may do it. So that's simple. But the problem is uh, how we do it before we, the, the characterization of HLA antibodies. That's the big deal. So that's what the lab uh, 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 focuses. So uh, to 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 get this accurate cross match, we need to we need to be very accurate in identifying HLA antibodies. So we need to use uh, better technologies, better tools, um, and a better way of interpretations. So in UCSF, uh, we use the most sensitive uh, technologies that's called single antigen-based assays. Uh, so that gives uh, even a very little amount of antibodies you can detect. And it can also quantify those antibodies, how much antibodies the patient has. And uh, also we use a lot of robotic systems and uh, liquid handling systems so that you can, we, we avoid all these uh, uh, interassay variations. So then, uh, it's a lay identifi uh, antibody identification, so we don't take just numbers from the machines like MFI, 1,000 MFI and over or po uh, positive DSA, but we use a lot of scientific uh, uh, background to call those antibodies. Sometimes the antibodies can be uh, 5,000 MFI, we don't even call that as uh, uh, viable antibodies. So sometimes it can be like a 300 MFI, we, we, we don't want to cross that, so I'm going to show some of the case studies later. Then, uh, then, then, then the next question is, the, which antibodies bind to the cells? You may have 10,000 MFI antibodies, but it may not even bind to the cells. If it doesn't bind, it's not going to play any, any role in the rejections. Then how much antibodies are needed to cause the positive cross-match? Then which antibodies are clinically relevant? So that's, the, that's the big question uh, everyone wants to ask. So it's not all antibodies are same. And which antibodies are easily eliminated by the, by the therapies? So, uh, so what I've shown here is the two uh, patients, candidate one and two, uh, both are having 100% CPRA. Well, you can see this individual having only few antibodies compared to uh, candidate two. So even you consider only A locus antibodies, that CPRA is going to be 97%. So, so all the patients, these patients will get the offers. He will get the transplant. But this patient never will get the transplant unless we play with this, some of these antibodies. So that's our goal. So we want to understand whether all these antibodies are same in terms of clinical rejection. Uh, so, um, so I'm going to talk some of the slides to try to understand what are the antibodies, particularly the C locus antibodies, DP antibodies. Uh, it, takes, uh, it doesn't bind to the cells uh, until it reaches like a 7,000 MFI. And the DP antibodies can be 20,000 MFI, but it's not causing any rejections. So I'm going to explain some of those slides later. So, so because of this, um, um, uh, in, in uh, high CPR individuals, once the new allocation policy implemented, people get top up with the highly sensitized people, particularly 99, 100% CPR individuals, got high rate of uh, transplantation because uh, those having 99, 100% CPR individuals getting uh, sharing from the regional and the national level sharing uh, so that they got a lot of transplant. But over the time, the rate declines. Uh, so now it's like a 10% uh, 
only 10% of those candidates getting uh, uh, transplantations. Because, the, as I shown in the previous slides, so those, those patients not getting transplantations are the one making a lot of antibodies, a uh, 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 lot of HLA antibodies. So as I mentioned, we use the single antigen, very specific or very sensitive method uh, to detect HLA antibodies. Um, uh, so I don't want to go through the slides. So uh, also we use, uh, 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 it's, a, it's a lab express, it's, a, it's automations that has many equipments. Uh, it has a liquid handling systems. It takes, it's isolate the serums, dispense the serums in different volumes. And it has a PCR machines, it has a washer, it has a Luminex, there's a behind that big computer. So it's it, it a lot of automation here. So that avoids the tech to uh, tech variation. So if I give us, yeah, yeah, if I take a serum and measure the antibodies and do it in the next day, it will be the same MFI. But it's not happening in other labs because it's, it's very ex expensive uh, equipment. Then also, uh, as I mentioned, we don't just take uh, the MFI val values from the machine. Uh, we, we look at those antibodies in different ways. So in basic, um, in, in basic biology, it's not just one antibody and one HLA antigens. So it is, uh, it is uh, like, uh, so when, it, when you look at um, antigen, these antibodies can be reacting with the multiple HLA molecules. So like, here's the three HLA molecules. The same antibody can bind to all these three different HLA molecules. Because it's all these three HLA molecules having that epitope or the small uh, stretch of sequence which is identical, which is shared by all these three HLA molecules. So one antibody binds to three different HLA molecules. In other aspects, so one HLA can have multiple epitopes. That means one HLA can be hit by three different HLA antibodies. So these are the concepts we use it. So I can, um, so, so what I've shown here, so all these HLA molecules look similar, uh, but each HLA molecules have their unique epitopes that can bind to unique HLA antibodies. You can say them A2 antibodies, uh, A68, and so on. So we call them private epitope. And these uh, molecules can also have the public epitope, which is shared by multiple HLA molecules. So what I've shown here is the triangle. It is shared with the multiple approved here all these five molecules are having these triangle molecules. So what happens if the antibody is made against these triangle uh, epitopes, that antibody binds to all these five different HLA molecules. So this is one antibody, but binds to five different HLA molecules. So we call this groups, group of this antigen as a cross-reactive group, cross-reactive group by the antibodies. So we have over 20 different cross-reactive groups identified. Uh, so 10 of them already known, but uh, we're kind of characterizing using this uh, very sensitive single antigen methods. So we look for the pattern. If the patient make antibodies to A1, 99% of the time they make antibodies for other HLA molecules because all these HLA molecules um, uh, share that particular HLA, uh, particular epitope. So some of these epitopes or antibodies are very frequent, so particularly for, for example, is the BW6. It occurs on two-thirds of HLA-B molecules that provides 85% of uh, the donor would be compatible. So I'm going to show the real case. Here is the woman um, of HLA types. She's a homozygous for the BW4, and her husband is a BW6 homozygous. Um, then uh, after a few pregnancies, she will make antibodies to all these HLA molecules. 
but uh, because see, basically she makes antibodies only to this BW6, one single antibodies, but that antibody reacts to all this HLA because the epitope is shared by all these HLA molecules. So then she will be avoiding 85% of the enostone. So a single antibody can avoid 85% of the uh, donors. So when we look at the test in the lab, uh, it, sometimes it is easy. You can see the peaks, uh, all the BW6 having uh, the beats are positive, so anyone can assign, yes, the patient has BW6 antibodies, but it's not the real case. So sometimes you will see uh, almost nothing, but there's something here. So all the beats that are close to the reactivity site are having the BW6. Although this is less than 1,000 MFI, we don't, we don't uh, transplant across these antibodies. So, we, so if you do the cross-match, it's, it's going to be a negative cross-match, and the donor-specific antibodies less than 500 MFI, but we don't, we don't, do, the, we don't do the transplant. So all the uh, antibodies that we are uh, 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 testing using uh, synthetic beads or synthetic HLA molecules, that can create a lot of problems. So in, in the HLA society, uh, people identify a lot of problems with this. Uh, it could be the protein misfold, denatured antigens, cryptic epitopes. So so many problems um, uh, based on all, all these uh, uh, synthetic beads can produce. But we uh, try to... Um, um, analyze in, in different way because we have 5,000 uh, patients sitting on the wait list. We have the data. So we pull all the data, 5,000 people's HLA antibody data, and creating type of heat map analysis. These are the patients from 1 to 5,000 here, 5,200 patients. Then all these antibodies, 127 uh, different HLA antibodies, and putting them into different buckets like a A locus, um, B locus, and C locus, DR, DQ, and DPs. Then you take all these 5,000 patients and uh, again put them in different buckets like a retransplant candidates, uh, uh, first transplant female, first transplant male, and the retransplant female and retransplant re male. So on, on all the, the heat maps of the MFI, the strength of antibodies given in the different colors, the more bluish or weaker antibodies, and more reddish or very strong antibodies that can cause CDC cross-match positive. So you can look at and everything is all in, uh, in one uh, figure, so all you can say or not all antibodies are same. It's, it's a, it's a, some, uh, some antibodies, like the pregnancy-induced antibodies here, are primarily the B-locus antibodies, which are stronger. Then the DQ antibodies in the retransplant candidates are much stronger. Uh, then uh, if you see here, this, this case, uh, here's the male. Uh, they never had any transplantation, uh, so, but some of them may have some transmission. We don't have the record, but here, 2,000, uh, around 1,500 patients, all male, uh, they should not make any HLA antibodies, but they make some HLA antibodies, but most of these antibodies are in the low MFI and less than 3,000 MFI. And most of the time, only uh, some specific beads react. So that means uh, this we probably overcalling some of these antibodies. So we try to set the different threshold uh, threshold for, for, uh, for different uh, beads. But most of the labs set the one threshold, 1,000 MFI, but each bead we have a different threshold. Sometimes uh, we may have like a 5,000 MFI. We don't, we don't call this as an antibody, as a positive antibody. 
So uh, also we want to look at whether the antibody binds to the cells. What I'm showing here is the T-cell cross-match, the strength of T-cell cross-match in terms of the median channel shift versus the, the strength of HLA class 1 antibodies. And you can see uh, this is the cross-match, the 50 median channel is the positive cross-match. You can see anything less than 2,000 MFI doesn't bind to the cells, not causing any positive cross-match. And the donor-specific, these are single donor-specific antibodies. And put them in two different colors, A locus, B locus, and C locus. You can see the A and B are pretty much kind of correlating, so more DSA, more uh, cross-match. But look at all this, uh, the green triangle, the C locus antibodies. The antibodies can be 20,000 MFI. It doesn't bind to the cells. So that's very important. So just, you cannot just take the MFI. So you need to look at those antibodies so we know what antibodies these particular antibodies are. So if the patient make their antibodies, we just do the transplant. We don't, we don't even let you know. The surgeon knows there is an antibody. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't transplant. <laughs> yes. So this is uh, for the uh, uh, B cells. So we have different cutoff values. Uh, you can see uh, uh, <coughs> the blue, <laughs> the blue blue dots are the DP antibodies. So again, anything less than 2,000 MFI doesn't bind. But the DP antibodies, some antibodies can be 20,000 MFI. But generally, uh, around 7,000 MFI and less do not bind to the cells. Uh, so uh, so we transplant, um, if the patient has only B, uh, DP antibodies, even uh, 20,000 MFI, we do the transplantation. I'll get into uh, later in some slides. So yes, uh, this is the DP uh, uh, antibodies. We transplant across the DP positive crossmatch and uh, MFI. What I've shown here is the pre-transplant. The blue one is the pre-transplant antibodies. And uh, the red one is the one-year post-transplant then the green is the two years post-transplant uh, antibodies levels. You can see the, all the HLA, A, B, C, W, D, P, D, Q, and DP antibodies. Uh, so not much change um, in other antibodies, but in the DP antibodies, you can see uh, from 20,000 to all the way to less than uh, 3,000 MFI. That's good, thank you. 3,000 MFI. So uh, we did uh, around 30 transplants uh, with a positive cross-match uh, with the strong uh, DP donor-specific antibodies. Uh, you can see within one week, some antibodies from anywhere from 10,000 going down to uh, zero. And, <clears throat> and most of the... <clears throat> sorry. And most of the time, most of the patient um, lost all the antibodies even from 20,000 MFI within uh, six months. And the graft is doing fine, uh, no, no rejection at all. So then uh, the big question we want to ask, um, what HLA is more immunogenic? If you do the kidney transplantation, which HLA should, I should not cross it? So I think that's the big question. So we have, because we have a huge amount of data, so we look at different, we look at all the patients relisted uh, right now. So we have around over 300 patients relisted. So we have the antibody test. And those patients are had a transplant 
um, at the time, there's no HLA antibodies. So when you look at these antibodies after losing the grafts and relisting, then you can look at those antibodies, calculate what is the frequency, what is the MFI. That gives which antibodies are most common, which, which antibodies are most, most uh, uh, stronger. So that gives some idea which one you don't want to cross. So uh, what I've shown here is the heat map of all those 300 uh, patients the pre-transplant antibodies, all these antibodies, uh, you can see is none of uh, not many individuals making antibodies. Most of them are weak. But if you look at the post-transplant or, or um, uh, at the time of listing for a second transplant, you can see is, uh, many patients making tons of antibodies. Most of them are very strong antibodies. So then you look at all the, the frequency of each antibodies um, and the strength of antibodies and plot them into uh, X and Y axis, like here's the frequency of antibodies, this is the strength of antibodies, you can see the most strong or frequent and strong antibodies are the DQ antibodies. So all DQs are most strong and DQs, and the second strong one is the DR53 group of antibodies. Then the third uh, one is the A2 antibodies. So what it tells, um, so these this are the uh, specificities you don't want to even cross. So maybe we need to consider for matching at the time of transplantation. So at, uh, at, uh, right now, we in the UNOS considered giving points for the DR match, but the DRs can be anywhere from here to in the middle or here. So, so within, within the DR specificity, some antibodies can be, some antigens can be very less immunogenic and some uh, antigens can be very strong immunogenic. So some of the antibodies we talked about, the C-locus antibodies and the DP antibodies, so those are not very immunogenic. Uh, so they are very less frequent and uh, less uh, 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 low MFI antibodies. So you do the same analysis in the pregnancies. Uh, so the, the patients waiting for the transplant, the females waiting for the transplant, so first transplants. So they make the antibodies due to the pregnancies. If you look at that, there's no DQs. The strong ones are generally the B locus antibodies. So it's a very different uh, profile when you compare the, the, uh, the antibody profile or pregnancy-induced antibody profile uh, compared to the transplantation-induced profile. Then when you look at the males, they don't even have any patterns. Those are the beads that overreactives. We always call those uh, overreactive uh, beads. So, uh, so, so, so the transfusion can trigger antibody productions. So what I'm showing here, uh, so we do a lot of uh, heart transplant. Uh, the patients at the time of uh, before heart transplant, they get the VAT implantations. So before that, there's no HLA antibodies. Once they get the VATs, they get a lot of transfusions, then they start making a lot of HLA antibodies. But those antibodies are not stable. In over six months, it all gone down. Then you put the heart transplant, doesn't come back. So what I show is this, the red one is the donor-specific antibodies, and then the donor-specific antibody doesn't uh, uh, come after the heart transplantation. But, uh, but the, the pregnancy-induced antibody stays there. So in the second uh, recipients, the dotted one or the, uh, the pregnancy-induced uh, antibodies, you can see them at the pre-VAD implantation, but once uh, the, 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 the dot um, the, or the solid lines are the one induced by the transfusions or the VAD implantations, those all gone down. So the pregnancy-induced stays there. 
but the red one are the donor-specific antibodies. So once you had the heart transplant, then you don't, those donor-specific antibodies induced by the transfusion doesn't come back. So this, this was something new that we learned from the heart transplant program. Maybe we need to look at the kidney transplant program also. Uh, so uh, so the in, in, uh, that some of the antibodies are uh, very vulnerable to the IVIG. So in the lung transplant program, so they treat just by the IVIG. So you can see this individual line indicates the donor specific. So this is the one single patient. So the patient had transplant, a lung transplant. Then uh, he developed a lot of HLA antibodies. Then they start giving IVIG. So it's a different doses. Then in, in uh, six months or one year, so all antibodies came down. It's never come back. So we did, uh, uh, we did a lot of transplants, around 30 transplants, uh, with the, with the they saw, it's not the preformed antibodies. They saw the de novo donor-specific antibodies, but uh, they treated with just by the IVIG. Many antibodies gone down uh, within three months, and uh, some took a year, but they never come back um, on causing the rejection. And also, uh, working with uh, Dr. Fang, uh, work on uh, simultaneous liver and kidney transplantations. The liver uh, absorbs a lot of antibodies. So at the time of pre-transplant, you can see some of the donor-specific antibodies can be 10,000. Then within a one week, all the antibodies are absorbed by the uh, liver. So, so it depends on which organ you are looking at um, the antibodies impact. So uh, we need to consider a lot of um, uh, things uh, which I went through. Um, uh, so, so the patient makes antibodies due to pre-transplantation, pregnancies, and transfusions. And HLA antibodies are generally reactive to the multiple crack antigens, not just one antigen, one antibody. The candidates with the multiple uh, crack antibodies are hard to find a compatible donor. And HLA DQ, DR53, A2, crack antibodies are more frequent and strong and that's most immunogenic, hard to remove, and should be considered for, the, uh, for uh, matching. And HLA-C and DP antibodies with the MFI less than 5,000 5, do not cause positive cross-match, so it, we can transplant across with these uh, um, DSAs. Then DP antibodies are uh, less pathogenic and amenable by IVIG. Then transfusion-induced HLA antibodies are transient and do not uh, rebound following heart transplantations. So with that, uh, I'd like to thank and um, uh, take any questions. Thank you. That's question for creation. So, so, <laughs> so if if um, we, yeah, we, we don't have the data. So, if you remove the kidney, uh, so they they make more antibodies. Because.
If there is a potential of a living donors quite soon, uh, it may be a good strategy to keep them on some immunosuppression. Over the long term, I think the combination of uremia dialysis plus immunosuppression may not be good. Uh, and, but it's, I think it's important to make a decision about nephrectomy only when it's absolutely necessary. Yes, please. How does the quantification take place, uh, like in ter terms of percentage of PRA, 60%, 80%? Is the, each reaction is counted? So, uh, so that's why we collect the data in the labs. So we always, when you do the cell-based cross-match, the flow cross-match, we plotted the, the cross-match, the strength of the cross-match median channel versus the amount of antibodies. So we use that guidelines to predict our virtual cross-match. Make sense? Uh, that's the next project we need to try. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so in, in, in heart, trend, heart and lung, it doesn't, people understand, so it's, not, it's like a very transient antibodies. You don't want to transplant at the time of when the antibodies are there, but after six months, it should be fine. There are a lot of cases they are transplanting. I think we should do it the same with the kidney also. Okay, thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.